welcome to Cat Happens, a black, black, black cat happens, a spooky Halloween themed podcast. I'm your host, uh, Stabber, uh, uh Skeleton Den, <laughs> and I'm, I'm here, I'm here with my buddy, uh, do you have like a Simpsons horror name? Uh, ooh, um... Uh, spooky Simon Gore. Gore, that's so good. Yeah, Simon Gore, and we're joined by our intrepid cyber messiah, Kevin Knight. <laughs> what's, what's up, Kevin? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm doing great. How are you doing, guys? Yeah, I'm. I'm doing okay. Um, what about you? I'm doing fine. We're doing fine. We burned almost, uh, almost. Oh, even more. We burned a whole minute of show. So looking, looking good. Um, so yeah, uh, we're doing the show. I, I got Simon here. Um, Simon is a good friend of mine. We've known each other for you know not ten years, but years yeah, and years. Close. Yeah, yeah, years and years. Um, and uh, he's a really creative, fun-loving guy. He's a man after my own heart. Um, you know, we we were. We, we're like similar things, you yep. know. Simon is a—he's he, got a cool, cool kind of decorations as a aesthetic, right? <laughs> he got a cool aesthetic. He had a cool office, you know. He has a cool uh, place. Um, I don't know. Well, okay. So, I don't know what I. The thing is, like, I—I I should be talking to you, but I'm talking to the show. You know? Does that make sense? That makes sense. Like. It, that's. It, but that's not. It's not conducive because, like, that's not. I don't know. Uh, whatever. Okay, so I wanted to try. We're we're gonna try a new segment called Spencer is gonna learn how to do an interview and also come up with shorter titles. Um, where I'm gonna I'm gonna try and interview Simon a little bit, and we we'll see how many legs this got. You know, we'll, we'll figure it out. All right, let's do it. But so yeah, how did uh, how did we meet? Um, I believe. All right, I was uh, I I I donated to the Anomalisa Kickstarter. <laughs> Um, which allowed me to have dinner with the before all oral cast and crew at a Jamaican restaurant that Dino Stamatopoulos had uh, picked out. And uh, I spoke to a happy, drunk uh, Dino full of, uh, of Jamaican food and charmed him and conned him, I guess, into letting me uh, kind of stop by the studio and just hang around. Um, well, yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to blindside you here, but I feel like, I feel like I was there too. I feel like I was in that place for before oral, which I had never heard of. I didn't know what the <laughs> fuck. I knew what moral oral was, you know, Dino's thing, but I didn't ever hear of before oral. So I think after a Harmon Town, Dan invited me to go to a thing he was going to. And I had, you know, a mini freak out in the parking lot. I'm pretty sure Dan, like, came out and was like, it's okay. Uh, you know, you could come on inside. And then I did. Do you remember this? I don't. And so um, I think my first meeting with Simon was in that before oral party thing. And Simon came up to me and he said, excuse me, are you? And what was the name? Ah, you know. If this was a podcast, I would cut this out and do it the right way, and then that would be our first take. But of course, well, it is a podcast, but um, 
Where was it going? But what's the guy who does Adventure Time? Penn Ward. Oh, Pendleton Ward. Yeah, Simon was like, excuse me, are you Pendleton Ward? And I believe I said, I wish, buddy. And uh, so, you know. That's true. I do remember that. Yeah, and you, you were one of the only people that I talked to at the party because you were so friendly and approachable. You know, well, you approached me. You weren't approachable. I guess I was approachable. But yeah, so um, that was that was how we first met, I think. That's and true. That's crazy. Yeah, we didn't talk too much, but I didn't talk to anyone. Like, you yeah. were maybe one of two or three people I talked to, and I don't think I even know who those other people are. And I don't think they ever, like, I don't think they stayed with Starburns for very long. But yeah, um... But so pretend that wasn't where we met and continue your story. Yeah, well, yes, after I mistook you for Pendleton Ward, I got uh, I got roped into helping with the Harmontown documentary. Right. Okay, so so yeah, Neil Berkeley was doing the Harmontown uh, Harmontown documentary. He needed uh, I guess wh- what did he need from you? Well, I guess the the original conversation I had had when I first met with Dino and Dan was that uh, there was trouble trying to find a story. Mm-hmm. There was trouble finding a story in all the footage, and there were so many different cuts of the movie at this point that they didn't really know which version it was. And And Dan wanted somebody to kind of, like, help Neil, who had just become so fatigued by watching the footage over and over, to try to find something akin to that Conan O'Brien documentary. Well, yeah, because Neil was having a hard time being like, the movie is just that he's an asshole. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't see any other story that we can tell here other than, here's Dan, he has the show, he's mean to his girlfriend, or whatever. Yeah, that was you one know? of the cuts. And Dan didn't want that to be the show, and I think Neil was trying to be respectful to that desire, but still not seeing the solution. And one of the biggest problems, my initial like task... Uh, by Neil and Dan was to go through all the footage and find the jokes. Mm-hmm. Like, find these isolated jokes. And as anybody who has heard Harmontown knows that there's probably in a hundred hours of Harmontown three things that constitute as standalone jokes that don't yeah. rely on 45 minutes of context. That's one of the... Sometimes you have to find punchy jokes and it's like... <laughs> but these setups are like... They're really long. But yeah, Harmontown definitely known for very punchy, short... It's the yeah, Jimmy boom. Carr of podcasts. Thank you, yes. <laughs> the Stephen Wright of podcasts. It's just he- Hedgeburg bit yeah, after yeah, Hedgeburg yeah. bit. It was fantastic. So at first I had an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> but then uh, where we were going through it... Um, we had these conversations because he didn't understand why people liked going to Harmontown. Right, because he, he had interviews with the Harmontown fans, but he would look at the interviews, I assume, this is just me, you know, headcanoning, and was like, but this doesn't make any fucking sense. I can't just show this to an audience and assume they'll get what they're talking about. Exactly. These are weird cultists in a weird cult. We can't make that. In a way, he was just like, why do these people like him? They're basically paying money to hear this narcissist go to therapy. <laughs> right. And and I started explaining to him that I was like, listen, I'm an enormous Dan Harmon fan. I've followed him friends like Scud and Channel 101, but I don't think the man's infallible. And I understand 100% what you're talking about. I just spent the better part of two months going through footage trying to find jokes, and I get why you're frustrated. But what you don't understand is that what he's doing for these audience members is letting them know that he is flawed and uh, unsure and narcissistic and insecure and self-sabotaging, and he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, even though he thinks he is a genius and he knows what exactly what he's doing, and all that kind of amazing contradiction is just 
proof that any one of these assholes in the audience can do what he does if they can just kind of get over themselves and just do it, which is kind of what he did. Um, and that is incredibly inspiring. And like, look at Spencer, I said. He's the perfect example of this. He was somebody in the audience and he ended up in community. And that's the hero's journey that we decided to kind of follow. And then with that, Neil got excited and started going through everything again. And you became the kind of star of the movie. And yeah. that's when, when I'd met you after that, after I was never going to be able to mistake you for Pendleton Ward again, because I'd spent months with I'm you not offended. <laughs> before you, you and I had like probably started hanging out. Um, and that's kind of the, the origin story. But then you, yeah, you taught me how to play Magic the Gathering. We, uh, you were uh, one of the characters in one of my cassette tapes. We've done a whole bunch of stuff together. Yeah, um, yeah. I just want to circle back. Like, I think one of the reasons I was on Community is for is Dan kind of wanting to like make sure there was this really successful sort of arc that you could follow. Because I don't know what how he was involved in the conversations, but you know, he's like in the movie. He was even like, I, I love these stories. I love attaching these structures. And so, like, oh, if Spencer could be the focus, then I don't have to be. It doesn't have to be about me and my arc. It could just be. It's just like, oh, look at look at how how this is changing Spencer, and I'm watching that happen back here, and don't you know, and and, and I don't have an arc right now, and so I mean, he <laughs> talked about that, yeah, in the movie, in the movie yeah, yeah, it, but so I don't know, and so it's interesting how that all worked out. Um, I do want to make a quick pivot. Do it. Because at this point, you've been blindsided, you piece of shit, <laughs> you fucking audiences. I'm gonna go on a rant here because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. I think people owe a sense of common decency to just everybody to put that out there in the world. I believe that. But at the same time, I don't believe anyone owes anything else to anybody um, on a base level. I think I think that we owe society. Um, I think like what I'm talking about about this decency is we do owe society a certain amount of respect and space to kind of allow society to function, right? Uh, it, none of this is going to make sense to Simon because it's, this hasn't been going around in his brain. But I think that we owe society an amount of common decency that we then dispense to each other. But we don't owe that to each other. We owe that to society in the, in the sense that society is a technology that we've invented that needs these maintenances and requires these things to be true to function. And then part of that agreement of society is that we behave in a certain way. And I think that society doesn't really always hold up its end of the bargain. So, like, to the extent that we owe this to society, I don't know how much any individual person owes it to society, okay? But what I do know is no one owes anybody a system of values. People have different values, right? Um, there, there's, you know, the classic kind of liberal conservative divide is, like, security versus um, freedom, right? You know, there's, like, a, a stupid phrase that's, like, a person who would put his freedom above his... or security above his freedom deserves neither or whatever. But, you know, what that get, is getting at is some people prioritize security and some pre people prioritize freedom. Listen, it's not a, a it's not a black and white kind of thing. There's merits in both. Right. And there's extremes in both, you know? Like, would I sacrifice a little bit of my freedom if I lived in a world where there were just, like crazy fog monsters outside and in order for me to get the best protection i had to be monitored i'd be okay with that people monitoring themselves for free that's the weird thing people get so 
up in arms about their freedoms, but then they volunteer that information. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, as long as they're the ones volunteering it, it's okay. Because But it's the- they film themselves all the time, they take pictures of everything they fucking eat, they post everything, they make it completely public and completely accessible, and yet at the same time they, comp- they complain that, you know, they're going to get spied on or they're going to be tracked. It's one or the other to me. Yeah. And I, and I don't know that. I think they're going to get some people mad at me. But, you know, people have different values. This is just true. People have different values. Like, you know, security, freedom, whatever. Do you have any values that, that you prioritize? You know, like, like, do you, like, if you think of values, like, like, for instance, I consider comfort to be a supreme value for me. There's a lot that I would sacrifice just to be comfortable. Yeah. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. I am, I am at, I, comfort and convenient and, is, is huge for me. I'm a bear. I hibernate. I get everything that I love close to me. I hoard the things that are important to me. And now if I have my base stuff covered, I'm okay. There's a part of my brain that goes earthquake, zombies, whatever it is, quarantine that locks me into my house, I'm going to be fine. Right. So the qu- quarantine, the COVID, that's an example of values. You know, that's an, it almost is the freedom versus, I mean, I guess it is the freedom versus security thing. Some people value their personal ability to go fuck around more than they value, you know, the continued survival of the population. Yeah. And, you know, those are bad values, but I just, I don't think those people well, necessarily. Well, there you go. They're not necessarily bad values. They're their values. Right. They don't align with yours and you have every right to say, fuck that that way of living but you i feel that nobody has the right to say i mean it's it's weird it's a very weird because values aren't compatible yeah like, they're not necessarily compatible but their values, you know, so so you said convenience. There might be people that aren't gonna will aren't willing to make the sacrifices that we do for convenience. Yeah, Maybe for they'll sure. do the harder thing because they don't want to make those sacrifices. It's going to be hard to convince someone with different values than you that they should reject those values and instead embrace yours. Now that's probably a possible thing to do, but we have to admit that that's a very difficult thing to do and it's certainly not a given. But it's not something, for example, that I'm interested in. Like, I don't really care about changing anybody else's values. And it and it's also certainly not anyone's responsibility to change their values to suit yours. Yeah, 100%, I don't really care. Right. That's one of my, one of my big values is just kind of like apathetic respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the idea that the idea that someone should change their values or even their political values just so they adhere to your own is ridiculous. Um, like, like you have to put in the work if you want someone to change their values or ad- agree with your political values uh, to the extent that you do. You can't just simply stamp your foot and expect that they fall in line because they have different values. What you can do is you can find the overlap in those values and use those to your advantage and get them on your side in issues where they interlap or you can find common ground in a completely different way yes. i mean my entire system of value system of religion system of spirituality of of society of politics all of it is a hundred percent informed by the cartoons that i watched as a kid and like the simpsons is the closest thing i have to religion it comes on every sunday i still go to it even though it's not that good and i've kind of outgrown it but it's out of habit and obligation <laughs> Uh, but I, the the values that they instilled in me through seasons three through eight and some of nine are still an incredible part of the way I look at the world and the way I interact with people and the way I I uh, I have fun with life and I th- don't take things as seriously. And for what you're saying, 
Uh, oh, damn it. I lost the train of thought. That's okay. I, I can take it over. If it comes back to you, you know, we can yeah. get back into it. But but so, like, you can use... Oh, no, I remember, actually. Go for it. You were talking about how value systems can be conflicting and people get into fights trying to, like, explain their values or uh, try to convert people for a value system. And there's a cartoon uh, series, like, cart- a series of cartoon shorts from Looney Tunes called, uh, like, the Ralph and Sam shorts, the uh, Ralph the Wolf and Sam the Sheepdog. Okay, yeah, And it's yeah, always, yeah. like, this wolf that looks just like a wily e. coyote, but he's got, like, a red nose, and he's always trying to get these sheep. And these uh, the sheepdog is always, like, like, not letting him do it. He, like, always catches him, beats the shit out of him. And uh, whenever there's a lunch whistle or the quitting, bit, the quitting whistle at the end of the day, no matter what situation they're in, whether it's the wolf about to eat a sheep or whether it's the, the dog about to punch out the wolf, they stop, they clean each other up, and they're incredibly civil and cordial to each other. They're always like, see you tomorrow, Ralph. See you tomorrow, Sam. And they're always nice and they're civil because at the end of the day, the wolf's going to be a wolf and the sheepdog's going to be a sheepdog and they can't help or change or do anything about that. But that doesn't mean they have to be pieces of shit to each other off hours. But, and I'll go, you know, I'll, I'll take a more extreme stance that like, you don't even have to, I don't even think you necessarily have to be civil to the other people. But to the extent that you know, uh, we're kind of progressive. We believe in progressivism. We want to expand progressivism. We want to expand things to make things better for other people. And to do that, we have to act politically or give up. So to the extent that we want to make our realities happen, we can't just expect people to have our values. That's not a winning strategy. It's a, it's a failing strategy that uh, Democrats often double down on. But, but you have to you have to find common ground. You have to find ways to use people to your advantage, or you toss them aside and find a better group of people that can enact your goals more. You know, but what you can't do is get mad at someone for daring to not have your values and admonish them and say like, "How dare you? How like whatever?" You, you all right? What, what are some of your values outside of comfort? To see if I butt heads with you on one of them. I don't like feeling control exerted over me. I hate it when I feel. Anyone's trying to exert control over me, whether that means, hey, can you give me a ride to this? Or whether it means I think you were being very uh, thoughtless when you said that. Like anything that I interpret as someone trying to exert control over me, I, you know, I don't always have like a big backlash, but I have an emotional response that I have to tap down. All right. So, I mean, I'll I'll tap dance around the metaphor, but I'll not I'm not going to say it directly just because I want to keep things light. But antidotes. What do you what what do you feel about antidotes? If you were bitten by a snake and someone said, "Here's the antidote to that snake venom. I am ordering you to take it." Yeah. Uh, how would you feel about I that? I would be so like it would be an issue. Like I would probably end up doing it, but it would be like I I like on a smaller scale that happens to me all the time and I intentionally wound myself to throw off the impression that control can be exerted on me. You know, I would rather, you know... Take- so, so, but but don't you see that that sometimes could be so completely, like, square in your perception? Because if I said, I order you to take this uh, anti-venom, and you go, well, the fact that he ordered me to do it means I'm not going to do it. If I just phrase the exact same thing in a different way and maybe not use that word you would be taking the anti-venom. So it's less about me controlling you and more about your hang-up with the word control. Yeah, it's it's like a... 
Yeah. This is going to be coming a therapy session. I wanted to talk about snacks. Well, what I'm trying to say is that when <laughs> is that Simon is a Trump supporter, and when I bring Simon on my I, show, I, I, shut the fuck up and let me talk to my friends. I mean, fair enough. All I'm saying is, and again, I have a lot to catch up on because I'm very ignorant. I'm from Mexico and Canada. So I'm not an American citizen. He and crossed so, both borders illegally. Yeah, just at once, just for fun. Um, but I wanted. To, I mean, all I know about Trump is that he was in Home Alone and he was on the Apprentice show with like Gary Busey, Gremlins Two. Maybe he's in Gremlins Two. Um, I, I've only read the novelization of Gremlins One uh, by George Guype, and I incredibly recommend it. It's amazing. Um, but uh, but no, yeah. I mean, I think from the out from from. From having lived here, yeah, going through life during a supervillain cartoon president is horrifying. But also from a, we're all all alive for a sneeze and nothing really matters, and we're all kind of Muppets in a Muppet movie. You know, it 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 make it also kind of makes sense that life is this weird kind of possible Muppet simulation, and someone just bought that you know character and made him president for a little bit <laughs> to see what happens. Yeah. And and I'm not saying, like, we, it's not that we shouldn't castigate people for having toxic values. We should if that's useful to us. But to impotently demand people kowtow to us without any solid incentive or disincentive, it's just screaming. You know, it's just whining. And, and I don't give a fuck. And so shut the fuck up. I hate all of my fans. Uh, So, yeah. Um, Anyway, back to the interview. I like a few of them. They know who they are. (laughs) Look right at the camera. Yeah, yeah. I also like a few of them. Um, but okay, so you want to go forward in time or back in time from when we met? Forward. Okay, so uh, so so you started at at, at Neil Berkeley uh, doing doing video, and how did you move? How did you move forward, career, you know, professionally from there? This is something I only kind of understand. So, well, I mean, it's I think it, the what most people don't kind of know, unless there's like a profession like a doctor. Uh, or lawyer, and even then, I'm sure there are, there are subdivisions where this is true. People are predictable. At the end of the day, most people are aren't really looking for the headache of having to find people, the most qualified people every day, all the time. At the end of the day, if you can do something good enough, and you're not a piece of shit to hang around with. People just kind of keep you around. Nepotism, in a way. It, it, it's sort of like... Not to undercut anything you're saying, but yeah. I think that that's pro- that is that is how nepotism or old boy networks kind of develop, right? Yeah, but it's also about you putting yourself out there. It's like, I wasn't part of any pre-existing group. I just... You know, the, the metaphor I use is like the kid at the comedy store. You know, it's like the young yeah. comedian who just hangs around and, you know, goes to buy cigarettes and buys rounds and just shuts the hell up and you know, slowly starts to get ingratiated and people don't mind having them around. And then eventually that kid, they decide to kind of ask for a mentorship or ask the the one comedian who's been the least of a dick to them for some help. And then slowly they get to grow and they become part of that scene and part of that community. And I think that's the true of anything. And that's what I did in animation. I love animation so much and I was friends with Jerry Beck who's this animation historian I would put on animated shows and Saturday morning cartoons at the Bob Maker Marionette Theater and I was just really engaged in that world so when I was able to just have a tiny bit of a foot in the door at Starburns Industries 
I was that kid. I was just like, what can I do to help? It doesn't matter. I'm just excited to help you do what you're doing because I love cartoons so much. And that just led to me being excited and available and ready to do the hard work without any expectation or any ego or any I deserve this, I deserve that. I was just like, let me help. Do you remember any work that, like, any of those earlier kind of things that you, you, you know, that people wanted you to do at Starburns? I mean, it, it ranged from, you know, just doing, you know, PA work uh, to, like, the first kind of creative work was was they don't really have anybody working development, mm-hmm. you know? And so it was just me bringing ideas to the company. That I was like, look at this comic book. So this was pre-having really a development team, right? Yeah. Like, like we eventually formalized, semi-formalized a sort of development team, but but for a while there wasn't even one. It's hard to even understand. Like, no, it was because it was ideas formulated by Dan and Dino, right? And so the idea was that they created a studio to do their ideas, but then the studio was growing and they needed other things, Mm -hmm. and other people were a fan of the first two things the studio did which are the, its highest feathers in its cap at the moment, Anomalisa and Rick and Morty, the first two things outside of like, and the community Christmas special. And so those were these big kind of things that were happening and then Harmontown documentary. And then so there was this momentum, but eventually they were like, well, there's going to be things that we're going to be doing outside of Dan and Dino's ideas. Um, one of the things that also got me in is I helped Dino finish his book, his graphic novel. Trent. Trent. Uh, yes, okay. Which is how I started the comic book division. What did you do on Trent? Um, I helped take over the production. I edited it. I worked with Leah, the illustrator. Mm-hmm. I produced the music for it. I set up the website. Right. So Trent was a, is a sad graphic novel that had like a kind of musical accompaniment that, that you would play while you read it, right? Yeah. So originally it was based on a play, a musical play uh, that uh, Dino wrote and put on uh, when he was very young. And it was a one-time performance of it, and that's it. But he still had the play. So then it was turning the play into a graphic novel. And in the graphic novel, it went from black and white to color every time one of the songs came on. But then Dino and I decided it would be a lot more fun if you recorded the actual album and yeah. people could just go online and download the music and play it every time a song came on in the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. So it was like the musical graphic novel. So, okay, so... I mean, is the next step, then then they kind of formalized the the development team and you were kind of part of it? Or? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't ever, ever really kind of formalized, but it was Michael Waldron, uh, myself, and Steve Levy. Mm-hmm. And we were the Dev Boys. Um, right, and, Dev Boys. I forgot yeah, about Dev Boys. Yeah, there was like Boys. a Slack channel yeah. and everything. And, yeah. And so we would just come up with, we would either bring in friends or Michael bring in Michael Waldron, IP. who did Loki... And, and the doctor is it Doctor Strange? Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness and this amazing show on on stars called Heels. Yes, Heels. That he created yeah. Heels. When I first I first met Waldron at a, as a PA uh, season five of Community when I was just starting as Dan's personal assistant and he had Heels and it was already good back then. Oh, it was amazing. And yeah. he just like for years he just refined it so many times. He did so many rewrites on that. It Dude, was like yeah, it, so, he, and put, he was working on so many other things. He had a, a show set in the in the Greek life called Pledge. Um yeah, Waldron and I shared an office for a while. Mm-hmm. Um and it was just mainly Waldron and I and Steve just coming up with things to bring into the studio. Right. Um and then Waldron of course graduated to become an incredible writer showrunner in his own right. Uh, Steve moved 
uh, over to to Rick and Morty. But also, you started Starburns Press, right? Well, yeah, SBI Press. Was, SBI Press. So was, you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, it was this th- idea that television and movies take so fucking long to make, it, and so much time goes into them, so much resource goes into them, and a lot of the times they don't even make it anywhere. So all this time and energy and creative uh, output and money have been put into scripts and character designs and concept art that then get put on a shelf and nobody ever gets to see. And the irony of it all is also if you had created a piece of intellectual property, even if it was a dud and nobody bought it, like a comic book, like a comic book that nobody buys, that comic book is still a your comic book. Not that people aren't buying SBI Press, but just as a proof of concept, yeah. it doesn't matter how it sells because now you have the IP that you own the rights to, right? Exactly, and then yeah. you can license it. So I saw how like Justin was Justin Royland was so upset year one of Rick and Morty because he really wanted Rick and Morty toys, and he really wanted to like adults. Uh, uh, Adult Swim wasn't really interested in making toys because they don't really make toys. I mean, obviously they over over corrected. But, like, the first year, Justin was, like, really, a, like, butthurt that he couldn't, like, talk to Funko and Kid Robot and all these people. And uh, and I was like, oh, if we had just done a comic book and he had licensed Rick and Morty for television and film, he could still make comic books and toys and video games based on his comic books. And that was, to me, such a no-brainer um, that we needed to do it. Now, Starburns didn't think that that was an... Uh, a super important thing for us to do and they didn't uh, want to back back it financially right because you know tv production pays lots and lots of money and comic books don't make any money right um but they just give you like they just like studios just give you money to make shows and that can help keep the net you know our studio afloat in a way that doesn't really you know you think get a book deal but i don't think it has that same kind it, of no it wouldn't yeah. have it, that's not what the business of starburns was so right. it made no sense for them to want to do it but i said screw it i'm going to do it myself so because you wanted to make you wanted that to be in the world yeah i wanted these things to be in the world i wanted to be able to work with like incredible creators also in the comic book world i started to realize there's a lot of awesome writers illustrators who have kind of like aren't part of the majority mm-hmm. and they have kind of been like cast aside and they have haven't really been able to cut the line so i went out of my way to find really interesting people especially latinx people lgbtq people people of color to kind of talk about crazy stories they had that had nothing to do with their background they're just like i've got a crazy story but i don't want it to be about a mexican girl just because i'm a mexican girl um and i was like yes that's exactly the kind of stuff i'm looking for in addition working with like all of our comedian friends and making cassette tapes and making um all these weird kind of one-off physical things that exist in the world right because starburns has the artist kind of reputation and we had a lot of friends especially when the podcasting started you know a lot of creatives were coming in the door a lot of people wanted to work with starburns but it only had the bandwidth to develop so much uh productions like at a time and so you know you kind of were like well i just let's just make shit we could just make so much shit and have a great time and a lot of creatives were willing to take you up on that yeah and so yeah this is a kind of like a thing i started by myself and i funded it myself and and now we've got these weird books that exist and these cassette tapes that exist and yeah i've done stuff with you and it's the most fun it's like i love the idea that future whatever the hell humans evolve into are going to be looking through landfills uh and digging up our weird garbage as if we as if like there were paleontologists unearthing like uh, egyptian bulls 
and uh, and trying to make sense out of like you know the improvised book on tape we did or you know this graphic novel musical by Dino Stamatopoulos about a dead baby or like you know. the Dan rap tape or the Dan Harmon rap album yes yeah um so uh, it's time to it's time to segue to the hard-hitting questions let's do it now in 2005 August 7th at about 3 a.m you were driving down the 101 south just outside of Calabasas and you ran over a woman killing her instantly do you have anything to say about that well the way I look at it is that life is all about perspective and you're a hundred percent in charge of your perspective so there's absolutely nothing that disproves, at least right now in my brain, because I don't know anything about the facts, that this woman wasn't a horrible person, a horrible monster of a person that had lived many, many lives doing horrible things to good people, and this was just the universe's way of stopping her. Yeah. They just used my car to do it. Right, you were just a, 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 a tool in the hand of God. Yeah, ever ever write something and you're like, how did I write this? Or if you're a musician, you come up with a melody and you're like, this didn't come from me, this kind of came through me? That's the closest I can kind of come to an explanation. Right, and and so a follow-up question. Do you, do you uh, see yourself as the angel of death? I don't see myself as anything, but I don't, you know, that's the beautiful thing about art, and I think every human being... Every living thing is a piece of art, and it's less about what you think it is, and it's more about what other people think it is. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more Cat Happens. Oh, I'm, I'm Perry. I want a drink. I'm old Perry, and I want a drink. Well, Perry, what's the matter? Why are you so thirsty? I haven't had old man Crittenden's lavender-infused root beer in a fortnight. Well, we gotta put a, uh, an end to that dilemma. Come over here and sit by the trough. I'm old man Crittenden, and I went into my lab and tried to cook up a batch of root beer, but I didn't know what I was doing, and I'm a bit farsighted, you see. So when I knocked that lavender extract into the mix, I thought I was ruined. But then I tasted it, and I was like, this sucks, but not so bad that I'm gonna throw out the batch, and thus, Old Man Crittenden's lavender-infused root beer was born. All of Old Man Crittenden's lavender-infused root beer contains up to three railroad spikes in every can. Buy a growler today at Ross. And we're back to Cat Happens. I'm here interviewing Simon Gorey. We haven't really talked about anything that scary if this is a Halloween episode, which I'm down to do. Halloween is my second favorite holiday of all time. Yeah, it's like, you know, I, a lot of podcasts right now are doing like theme months. And, and what I do is whenever I introduce the show, I, I come up with like a, I've been getting lazier and lazier, but I come up with like a shitty, like, what if we're actually doing this podcast instead? And usually it's not that connected to the title. But since it's like, you know, Halloween... Ambush question alert! Sure. What was the first car, What was the first Halloween costume you ever had that you remember? That you picked, not that your mom picked for you. <laughs> the one that I remember is being a Nike swoosh. A Nike... Explain this. So, you know the Nike swoosh? I know what a Nike... But explain the costume. It looks like a check mark that got real high. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know why I wanted to be it. I just know that I, so I wore a black turtleneck and, and I had, I had white Nikes on and I had this big glow in the dark painted swoosh, white glow in the dark swoosh that was like hanging from my chest. So, you know, if I was in darkness and presumably covering my face or whatever, it would just look like a glowing Nike swoosh in the darkness. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I, there, I have a lot of issues with my parents. 
Um, a lot of the issues come from they weren't, you know, always willing to, like, you know, come to my aid or do things that I was interested in. But, you know, I got to give them credit. They really were like, sure, Nike swoosh, let's build this. You know, it's that's that's that must have been before they gave up. <laughs> nice. But yeah, what what about you? Well, this isn't about me. Um would you come back as the Nike swoosh? Would you do it again? I don't know. Uh so that I brings, like that idea of like bringing back your old costume. What about the Adidas thing? You know, it's like a thing that goes it's kind of like a sideways Y with a, a line through it or something. I could do that, like a riff on that. Or I thought the Adidas was like a weird flower, was it not? I don't know. I'm just when I think of Adidas, I think of like this kind of thing that's two and then a thing that's one. I don't know. We we could maybe look it up, but but yeah, that 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 I could but I could bring back the night. I don't you know, I hate Halloween. Um I hate Why most, do you hate Halloween? I, I hate most holidays, but um Halloween What the fuck is wrong with Halloween? I have specific reasons for all of them, but Halloween is one of the most uh the biggest reminders of how alone I am and how socially isolated I am and how anxious I am about social situations because for most of my life I was never invited to any Halloween parties and then once I finally started being invited to Halloween parties I would be like I can't go to this and so like it's just like Halloween parties suck by the way that the they, Halloween isn't about just that Halloween has got like so many tiers of enjoyment and so many well, levels in to enjoying the holiday I have incredible social anxiety well, this isn't about you oh it's fair no no keep going and also I want to know what you like about Halloween I mean I don't like going to parties. I don't like the costumes, and I don't necessarily even like the candy because, like, mm. I dress silly whenever I want, and I'm an adult. You can just buy candy whenever you want. Yeah, um, that's what that's, kids. If you're listening, you can buy candy whenever you want if you're an adult. It, so it make friends ass. with some random adult. Yeah, if any random adult you see could be a potential candy source. That's right. Um, that's how I got most of my candy as a kid, and then I grew up, and now I buy all the candy I want. You can just buy your own pinata. And uh, on a on a Tuesday, it doesn't have to be a special day. Buy a pinata, fill it with candy, bash the shit out of it, and then it just rains candy in your living room. It's amazing. You know what I found out is you can just go to the store, buy an angel food cake, and walk around outside just eating it by hand. Yeah, there's nothing stopping anybody. It's from doing amazing. That. It's incredible. It's not against the law. Yeah, but continue. Uh, but yeah, so to me, Halloween is the excuse to watch. I love scary movies. I love sugar, and so scary movies and sugar, and everybody endorsing it. Like, the society is just, like, making it so much... There goes my comfort and convenience thing again. It makes it so much easier for me to get what I want because everybody is pushing scary movies on me, and I love those. Everybody's pushing candy on me, and I love it. So it's just, like, the time of year when the stuff I seek out anyway is just kind of put to the forefront and everybody's talking about it. Yeah. And so that, like, fuck the parties and fuck all that... I'm into, you know, staying home, ordering a bunch of junk, and watching a bunch of Halloween-themed episodes of shows I love and bad horror movies. Like, spending three hours on Shudder just having fun. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't love horror movies, but I, it makes so much sense. It's like it's validating all of these, like, interests of yours, you know? Yeah. Whereas for me, it's, like, highlighting how I don't slot into society. <laughs> You don't like scary stuff? No, because it's not comfortable. 
Mm. It's like it really is like I don't like I don't like theme parks and stuff. I don't like 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 thrills. Exhilaration is entertainment to me. It's like, well, just give me a nice chair. I'll sit in that. That's better than like moving around in an uncomfortable chair that I'm locked into. You know? Oh, no, I love it. I love making myself uncomfortable because we have different values. Isn't yeah. that interesting? Yeah, you're wrong, but I respect it. Yeah, so I guess I should just get mad at you and uh, not do anything about it. You know, just just be mad because yeah. that'll do something. Um, so uh, I, I wanna I wanna. Well, first, I feel like we should check in with Kevin. I don't even know. Kevin looks kind of checked out because we've really cut him out of the conversation. Something about doing this in person. By the way, this is the first time we've done this in person, Kevin. This is so crazy. We went through all this troubleshooting, but but it, it really cuts you out of the conversation, doesn't it? I'm, I like it. No, no, it's fine. Yeah, because you're not like you're not like a born kind of attention seeker, right? You're you're not like looking for the spotlight. No, no. Although Simon, do you remember the first time I met you and the prank Dino played on you? I'm sorry. The, the Dino played a little bit of a prank on you. Do you remember this? I, I never heard your side of this. Oh, let me. I don't remember this. Okay. Okay. You had just started at Starburns. And I was coming to visit uh, with a potential investor uh, to see Dan and Dino and Joe and everybody else. And something came up and nobody was ready to see us when we got there. So they told you to keep us busy for a while. So you took us to a bar and you were acting so nervous the whole time. And like, is this okay? Are you sure this is okay? We can go somewhere else. Is okay. And we couldn't figure out what was going on. Like me and my friend kept looking at each other, not knowing what was going on. Oh so, my god, I totally remember this. So when we get back to the to meet him, meet everybody, Dino's like cracking up laughing. And I'm like, what was going on? What what's going on? So, you know, I'm kind of a, a tame guy. The guy I was with uh is kind of the same personality as me. I guess he had told you, hey, these these investors are coming to meet us and we don't want them to leave. They have a very short attention span. Listen. They want to go to the dirtiest strip club you can find. They are, you need to find all the coke in Los Angeles because these guys are going to go through all of it in two hours. Yes, he did tell me this. So you were um, sweating not being able to get the coke? Yeah, I was like, I don't know where to go. Should I go to Jumbo's clown room? Like, I'm freaking out. Right. And like, you see us and then you're like, you can't figure out what's going on because like, we're just like, oh yeah, this is fine. We're chill. We're, we're whatever. And we're, I think we went to the drawing room and just sat for like two hours and you were just sweating bullets the whole time because they told you like, hey, these are big investors. You got, you do not let them leave. Do not let them get bored. And you were just like sweating and like oh my paranoid. God. I think I blocked that memory out of my life. Uh, but yes, now I completely remember this. Yeah, um, yeah, that's amazing. That's and my yeah, first memory of you. I thought I had blown yeah. it. I thought I was like I was making texts to try to find blow for you guys. I was like really freaking out. <laughs> so Kevin, do you drink much? Do you drink at all? Are there alcohol? No, no. I, I wish. I so would love to, but no. Um, yeah. No. I'm, every once in a while, I like like a michelada or like a sour beer, but no, I'm not an alcoholic. So just drinker. all these people being like, I hate this. Are you okay with this? Is this what you want? It doesn't look like this is what you want. None, yeah, and all you, three of us would probably have been happier anywhere else. Just in the waiting room. <laughs> yeah, at Starbirds, yeah. Yeah, that's so funny. So how are how you doing, Kevin? How's your week been? Um, I'm doing great. It's doing great. Uh, we had good shows this Sunday. I think Reddit's always a little bit mad at you, but not any more than usual. 
I'm the only one. I'm the reason this isn't silence. You know, you know how many times I've thought, and this is so petty and stupid that it's like I have. I've really thought hard about this, but I can never do it. But like, I've I've, I've been thinking like, you know, we should just release an episode and call it "What You Wanted," and it's just like an hour of silence, you know? Because again, like. Uh, at my toxic, at my most toxic moments, this is what's going to happen. So Simon's opening a, a snack, and I want to get into the snacks mm. real quick. But one of the reasons I, I cued Kevin in is because we got to get into some news corner. Oh yes. Uh. That's right. It's the news corner and in today's news the nazis are at it again i uh what have the nazis been doing oh they've 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 been both sizing the holocaust um the critical th race theory fervor has gotten so crazy that that people have said we have to put uh, uh, we have to provide opposing uh, opinions on all views including whether or not the holocaust was good so that was the nazis and they're at it again and I don't know if Kevin has the, the, the outro theme queued up, but maybe by the time they come to the podcast. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much to Gastonod for doing that. Um, but yeah, let's let's crack into fucking show and taste. So, Simon, you want to talk about snacks? You love snacks. Right? I love snacks. I love snacks so much. I'm going to plug something here. There's this couple of incredible websites. One of them is called Desert Drinks with a hyphen. You can find incredible deals on candy and soda and snacks from around the world that are super limited. But I also subscribe to this thing called Universal Yums. And Universal Yums sends you a box of snacks from different part of the world every month. And I discover these incredible Korean puffs. They're like they're like Cheetos puffs, but they're not cheese. Well, yeah. most of them aren't cheese. Yeah, they're not consistent with cheese. Like they, they have the consistency of a Cheeto. But the strawberry ones, which are amazing. Get this. Uh -huh. the, mm. I mean, that's not helping anybody. Uh, but, oh. but here, let's get some texture. Uh, talk us through what you're tasting. They taste... taste Consistency like a Cheeto, but taste-wise, they taste like those delicious old strawberry wafer cookies with the cream in the middle. Yeah, it's like the hard, but then it's cut with... There's this paste kind of embedded in it. Yeah, there's this nice creaminess. Yeah, I didn't... Maybe we talked about... But yeah, they're very much like... Those fucking wafer cookies are so good, like the yeah. three flavors. Yep. They're so fucking good, but yeah, this tastes like the exactly strawberry Exactly like, and then the chocolate one, which has coconut in it. Mmm. Yeah, it's the same kind of texture with the with the kind of stuff paste on it. Mm-hmm. This kind of, to me, has slight coconutty undertones, but the taste is like the cookie part of an Oreo, to me. Okay, so it says choco corn puffs, and you can't, I feel like you can taste the corn more in this. The chocolate is a very dark, more of a bitter chocolate. It's not unsweet, but it's it's not very sweet, especially compared to like American uh, chocolate palettes. But but I think you can get a little bit of this corn in it, yeah. which is nice. It's like chocolate and corn is an interesting I mean, corn is such a great flavor. We tried corn soda. It was really gross, but the compelling thing about it is it's like, well, corn actually tastes really good. And there's corn syrup in most sodas anyway. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I definitely like the strawberry one above it. but Yeah, but they're both phenomenal. And then, of course, these ones, which I saved for last, are the banana. The banana ones. Banana kick. The banana kick have a much airier consistency. 
And they oh. don't have the they don't have the paste. They're like no. they they're, they these are more like have, Cheeto puffs. Yeah, like, they kind like, of have uh, dust on them. They they consistency wise are more like Cheeto paws. We're flying in the scissors to open this up. Mm-hmm. But these, it tastes like air dissolving in your mouth, and like vanilla wafers and banana pudding. These are so fucking good. These are like my favorite. I mean, I think that. Like flavor wise, I think I prefer the strawberry, but I like I could eat like a bunch of bags of the banana. Yeah, they oh my effortless. God. They They're just kind so of good. explode in your mouth and dissolve. It's like you know what it's like. It's like banana pop tart, popcorn. No, no, corn pops. God damn it. Yeah. Well, I was thinking that these kind of taste. The chocolate ones kind of taste like Muddy Buddies or something. They kind yeah. of have like a like a like a cereal kind of chocolatey cereal flavor. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, I super recommend them, and they're delicious. And you can find some of them on Amazon, uh, but you can also find them on Universal Yums, their website, if they're in stock. Yeah, and I do want to, uh, we, we we practice radical transparency occasionally on this podcast. Um, and we have actually tried the banana kick on this podcast, because when you showed them to me, I was so blown away that I bought like 16 bags of them. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we have tried them, but they're so good. But also, I think, didn't you, uh, I don't know. Someone, maybe it was you, I don't know. Someone brought me these banana treats from Japan that are like fake bananas. They're like a pastry. Yeah, they're like in a bit, they look like bananas. They look like peeled bananas. They kind of have a white, kind of very soft, kind of cakey outside, almost like a Twinkie, but then the inside is like banana, like mashed bananas. Yeah, right? It's amazing. It was so good. It's so light. That's the thing. They also like, have banana s'mores that they make, oh like chocolate covered banana s'mores. Oh my God. But like, yeah, like America is like so like big in your face. We got the nacho cheesiest motherfucker. You know, yeah. it's like it's like we're just super gonna go extreme hard style gravy. You know, like 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 Mountain Dew extreme cheddar biscuits. Mountain Dew cheddar biscuits. Like, yeah. but there's so much subtlety that you can embrace in flavoring, and a lot of other countries do that, and it works so well. It's like have you, you ever don't had have to. Have you ever had Crittenden's lavender root beer? Well, this is exactly what I'm talking about. The old style flavor of Crittenden's root beer combined with the subtle but distinct taste of lavender is a taste sensation that's sure to uh, uh, tantalize the taste buds. I mean, I, I, I loved it even before I knew it was a sponsor of your show. And exactly, like lavender, honeysuckle, ghost pepper, all things that really improve the taste of root beer, which I think is disgusting. Yeah, and what I really like about it is that they've actually reduced the number of E. coli bacteria in every, uh, bacteria in every bottle by like 80%, you know? Yeah, and I've heard one in every 10,000th bottle cures almost every disease right it'll cure what ails you yeah and ale is also a beverage and i'm making my eye line at the wrong camera so okay um <laughs> Ooh, what cures what ails you spelled ale -E, yeah that's a fantastic slogan Isn't for a beer cool? company yeah holy shit well, you know, if uh, if Starburns Press doesn't work out, we can we can always like go into beverage business. Or Listen, something. yeah, I love I love drinks. Yeah, if I could do anything else in my life, and if it wasn't cartoons or telling stories, it would be with snacks, because I love snacks so much. Yeah, you, you, Simon Simon's house is a wonderland of snacks, and it's inspiring. Um, it's it's so cool. I even got somebody to I commissioned somebody to make me lickable wallpaper, like that crazy Willy Wonka movie. Did the schnozberries taste like schnozberries? Yes, they do. Holy shit! The bananas don't taste like bananas, though. <laughs> No one's licking the wallpaper for the bananas. All right. 
Yeah, but um, what? So, so when I was at your house tasting all these Cheetos, we had the what? What are this is the Mexican cheese flavored or something? Oh yeah, there's like a it's they're Cheetos brand, but it's just the flavor is like the tangy cheese of the blue Cheetos from Mexico is unlike any other Cheeto you'll ever have. Yeah, they're just called cheese Cheetos, but yeah. they're not for us. Oh, they're you for Mexico. Reminded me that I should order some more of those. They're so fucking good. They're the like one of the best Cheeto kind of experiences I've ever fucking had. I don't even how do you even find those because they're they're like what do you type in like Mexican Cheetos puffs or something? Mexican Cheetos puffs that in Mexico and I grew I grew up in Acapulco and the coolest thing to me about snacks in Mexico the way it works is that you don't really call them by their flavor, you call them by their bag color. The, so, so these are like the blue Cheetos. Those are blue Cheetos right. because they're bad. The bag is blue, but the Cheetos are not blue. Like Ruffle, uh, Ruffles Queso, which they now started selling in America, which is like that my favorite good. Ruffles so good. in in Mexico. Were just Rufles Verdes because they came green in a green bag. And um, and so yeah, the and then Doritos. I think the best p- potato chip I've ever had in my life, and I can't ever get enough of it, are the Mexican Nacho Doritos because they're cooked with jalapeno seeds. And they're just a little bit spicy and tangy. Mm-hmm. So different than the American Doritos. Yeah. And oh god damn it! Now I'm really upset that I'm not eating them right now. Yeah, the cheese. The, the you you guys really owe it to yourselves to try these these Cheetos that I'm talking about. Some of they're them, so I, I think they might still be available at DesertDrinks.com. If I haven't already ordered them by the time <laughs> you guys listen to them, they might be out of stock. They might be out of stock. But um, they're yeah, they're just Cheetos puffs. Uh, they're thinner than American Cheeto Puffs, and they're way more packed with flavor dust, and the flavor dust is tangier than the American. Yeah, it's just, the the thing is, it's very subtle. It's like, it's hard to even say what's different about it, but it's just undeniably so much better. It's so crazy. Maybe it's like MSG or something. I don't know, but it's delicious. Yeah. But uh, uh, it's also made with the fingernails of orphan children. Right. That might well, it might not be that. It could anything could be contributing to the flavor. Yeah. And just to be clear, children can be orphaned at any age. So it's not just you know, forty year old nails are in there too. And children can be aborted at any age. So yeah. keep that in mind, uh, kids. Um, so I wanted to talk about, I don't know, you know, obviously, cause Simon, so Simon's been working on a lot of projects lately. Um, I don't know, is there, uh, you wrote a book. I don't know if there's any other projects that you want to talk about or you just want to talk about the book, but you know. I'd like to plug my book. Yeah, so, so Simon's a fucking author. Yeah, well, there's this collection. He's also an artist. We'll get to that later. Oh, yeah. I make paintings of, yeah. pot- of potato chips. He makes paintings of potato chips that... That they're fucking incredible, and if that doesn't sound impressive, I agree. Because when Simon talked about it, I was like, "That doesn't sound impressive." But it, they look fucking crazy. They look like like you can hang these in art museums. I mean, I, I don't know that you have a storefront. I'm not trying to plug Simon's art, but just to tell you guys, it looks really incredible. Um, do you want to talk about the process a little bit? Sure. Or is it a secret, you know. No, um, no, no. Um, um, I had my father owns a art gallery. It's Bob Ore Art Gallery, um, and uh, and he's always been asking me to, to paint, and I'm always like, I don't know how to paint. I don't. I'm not a painter, and not. It's not only that I need to be a painter, but my dad is just very casually like, you have to be the next Andy Warhol if you're gonna even paint. First of all, you have to paint, and second of all, don't even fucking paint unless you're gonna be the next Andy Warhol. So it's just like this really conflicting message. Yeah, for sure. Um, and he was like, so. Basically, you want me to do something that no one's ever done, that is uniquely me, that people can recognize from across the room, 
Um, but that's easy enough for me to do while I'm doing my other job. And it's also like impossibly popular commercially is a yeah. part of that too. Yeah, exactly. And famous and easy to sell. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't know how close I got to it. I think you really nailed it. That's the thing is like that's an impossible target, but I really think you hit it. Like like I would you know if 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 someone were saying I wanted to do something that's all these, I don't know I would thought of that you know the painting potato chip, but like it really is incredible. Well, um, I just yeah. Well, thank you. First of all, that's yeah. amazing. Um, and yeah, I just I went home and I love chips. I love chips so fucking. He loves much. snacks. You've I heard love, this. I love snacks, and so. Um, I started looking at these kind of, like, images of, you know, beautiful photography of, like, uh, a Dorito or a Cheeto. And then I started being like, eh, that's not what I want. I don't want to glamorize the chips. I want to use the chips as a canvas. So I started, you know those, like, overhead projectors that they have at science class where you put a, cl a clear piece of plastic and it, like, projects on the wall? Yeah, yeah. Those things? A projector, yeah. Yeah. So I got one of those. Um, and I went to my dad's gallery and you take, I just took pictures of Cheetos and Doritos and Ruffles and Lay's and projected them on a canvas. And I traced the outline of the Dorito or traced the outline of the Cheeto, traced the outline of the potato chip I wanted to draw and then used that confined space within the canvas as my canvas. And so I was just like, oh, now I can just Jackson Pollock this Dorito or now I can just like paint pink. This 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 Cheeto puff is pink, and it's like five different kinds of pink, and uh, and they look incredible. The thing about it is, if you look at the pieces, I don't think your mind. I think your mind is like, what is that? But it doesn't go. That's a chip. That's a potato chip. <laughs> but then when you say that's a potato chip, you're like, oh, of course it is. But it's still being art right now. You know, yeah. like it's so cool. I'm such a fan. Well, dude, thank you. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm gonna make you one. Awesome. I, I wasn't gunning for that. I don't. You know, I'm sure I could find a wall. But yeah. Uh, but 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 yeah. So that's. I just wanted to because that's I, very interesting stuff. But you know, let's talk about your book though. You're oh yeah, an author. of course. Yeah. Um, and I, I will send you the link to my art in case anybody wants to check it what out. What inspires you as an author? Like, what what were you inspired by as an art author, like, for your artistic voice and stuff? Well, I'm a big fan of putting into the wells that I take from. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why I was like, if I could have another job, I'd probably be making snacks because I take so much happiness from snacks. And I feel that that's, like, kind of the meaning of life. Like, the, we're alive for a sneeze. Nothing we do really fucking matters. Um, I've got this whole bit uh, that I say a lot about how art is like human honey you know bees make honey and they don't even get to eat it they die honey never spoils it can if it's made right it can last for thousands and thousands of years and still be enjoyed by other creatures besides the bees that made it um, and that to me is the closest we get to doing that as people is with art. And also bees are driven to produce honey. Like yeah. they must, they kind of must and do And human it. beings are always like, we're always, even the, the, the most, uh, you know, methodical, business-minded, uncreative human being has something they do, a hobby they do that they don't think is interesting, but I'm sure they could fucking start an Etsy store and they could make some money. And even, it. you know, maybe this undercuts the point, but even if it's not art art, it's definitely like producing something, making something with your hands, creating. 100%. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't have to be a success or making money for it to be meaningful or for it to be useful. But we're driven to create. Exactly. We're driven to create. And, uh, and so as we're making honey... Um, to me, it's always been like, what do I take the most from? Like, what would my life be impacted by in a negative way if blank was absent from it? And all it would take for blank to be absent from it is somebody along the lines not following through with, with 
their, you know, passion, you know? What would my life be if somebody at Mexico Frito-Lay was like, I'm not going to make the Cheeto dust more tangy. Fuck it, I got other things to do. No, I needed him to make that tangy cheese sauce dust so that I could have a happier life. And so I feel like I owe it to Cheetos and I owe it to cartoons and I owe it to books and I owe it to cassette tapes. And to, you owe it to breakfast cereal. And I owe it to breakfast cereal uh, to do something uh, and put back into that well, even if it's just me participating. Even if it's just me throwing a bucket of water into the ocean, at least I threw a bucket of water into the place I like to swim in the most. Yeah, it adds up. I mean, have you ever heard of global warming? Yeah, I haven't. Uh, you throw a bucket of smoke into the air. Listen, I don't like fairy tales. But <laughs> um, ironically, I do love fiction. And I wrote this book. I, I'm a big, big fan of this community called Biz the Bizarro Community of Bizarro Literature. And a lot of them are in Portland, Oregon, but they're, we're all over the world. And um, one of the godfathers of bizarro literature is this artist called Carlton Mellick III. Carlton Mellick III is responsible for some of my all-time favorite books ever written. If anybody out there is familiar with Kilgore, uh, with Kilgore Trout, who's a character in a lot of Kurt Vonnegut books, uh, Carlton is Kilgore Trout. Carlton is a guy who writes books that seem ridiculous and have outrageous, outlandish titles and, and uh, in-your-face covers, um, but then you read them and they're soulful and they're funny and they're clever and they're so easy to read and they're so imaginative and incredibly high-concepted. Books like uh, As She Stabbed Me Gently in the Face... Uh, every time we go to the Dairy Queen, your whole fucking face explodes. Quicksand House, Ultra Fuckers, The Haunted Vagina. Right. So if you if you go to the bookstore and you see like a mass market novel that has like a title, like a title and a in a cover image that you really can't decipher, Carlton's like a more extreme version of those. They're really out there. He's also like uh, you made the you made like a tape or something with the guy. He, he covers his yeah. face. What's yeah, that yeah. guy's name? Um, what do you mean? The guy that covers his face, he does oh, the oh, fucking oh, yeah, yeah. ass. What's that guy's name? Oh, uh, uh, Chuck Tingle. Chuck Tingle. He's kind of like Chuck Tingle. I think he's more serious than Chuck Tingle, but he is he is out as out there. He's out there, and he's really, really great. And every year, uh, for the last couple of years, I've gone on a writing retreat with Carlton, where we rent a cabin in Oregon, or a house, and we try to write a book in a week. And so this was the first one that I did. It's called Snap, Crackle, Fuck You. And it is available on Amazon, and it is a... Snap, Crackle, Fuck You by Simon Ore Molina, available that's, on Amazon. That's right. Thank you, Spencer. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a noir story. It's a, basically what happens if uh, there was a serial-themed amusement park that has a little bit of the Island of Dr. Moreau flavor, because <laughs> the mascots are genetically engineered to look like the serial mascots instead of just being people in costume. Um, and it's about Lucky the Leprechaun, or the guy who plays Lucky the Leprechaun at the park, who hasn't seen his ex uh, in many years, and but then finds out that she's kind of missing. And it's this, you know, reluctant hero story. I'm a big fan of reluctant heroes. Sure. Classic Dan influence, I'd imagine. I guess so. I mean, the biggest influence is this movie that I recommend. Uh, it's a Dustin Hoffman film called Hero with Gina Davis and Andy Garcia. And that was my first exposure to somebody who's just like, can't be bothered with doing the right thing, but does the right thing because he has to do the right thing. And I love that this character in this book is somebody who, you know, doesn't have anything to gain mm -hmm. from from digging in, from digging in and researching. But they also have like you know nothing better to do, and they might as well do it. 
and they kind of get themselves into deeper and deeper into this mystery and and more susceptible to being fucked with and in and, and, and danger. And every step of the way, they're like, why am I even doing this? This isn't even worth it. This isn't my responsibility. I shouldn't do it. But they're just compelled to do it. And I think that's a big part of life. I was going to say, that feels like my life. I think a lot. It feels like mine, too. I think that a lot of people feel like, why are we doing this thing that we don't need, don't want to do, but kind of feel like we have to do, but know we don't have to do. Right. But we feel like we have to do. Yeah, but you know you don't have but to But you do. know you don't have to. Yeah. I think that's what this story is about, but it's also about, like, you know, Sugar Crisp Leather Daddies and Toucan Sam sex shows and all sorts of weird fun crazy bizarro stuff so i recommend it i recommend everybody buy it not everybody has to read it but i really recommend everybody buy it and 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 we must admit you know simon's a bit biased but you know i'll, I'll stand by it i think you I, I, everyone should read this but certainly everyone should buy it thank you on amazon simon or a molina snap crackle fuck you snap crackle fuck you uh, a tale of 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 serial and serial killing i don't know yeah whatever. murder yeah, so, murder most foul. Yeah, so that's that's Simon's book. Um, I, it's time for me to tell the story of when I went to the ER on Tuesday. Oh, so uh, you might know that I, I went to a hack doctor to get ADD medicine, and he put me on um, heart uh, heart medication as well. Been taking that. I didn't really put this together, and I might just be reverse dot connecting, kind of casting back in time. But about that time, I started getting chest pain and heart palpitations, <laughs> and it was pretty scattered. But it got worse and worse, and eventually there was a, a run of three days where I just was having car constant heart palpitations, chest pain, and it was feeling very bad. I would go to sleep being like, "Well, I hope I don't die," knowing I should go to the ER, but not going to the ER. I have a blood. Uh, I have a pulse oximeter. Are we low on power? A little bit. Um, I think we can. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, I was going to do this. <laughs> All right. So I was a little low on power. Um, yeah, did you just plug it in? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I wasn't low on power. What was I saying? Uh, I was just, I just folded I'm so your sorry. thing into my story. I just no, it's okay. you. So I was, I was not feeling good and I was your knowing I should go to up. the ER. Anyway, I have a pulse ox that I got from, from COVID because I was like, oh, if you're, you're below 70%, you might have COVID go to the hospital, you know? So I wanted to be prepared, but I've just been using it. It's been a lot of fun just to use. And, um, so the pulse ox, it'll measure your pulse, like the line, you know, like at the, at the, when you're in the ER, for instance. Um, and I could see my pulse, and when these heart palpitations were happening, I could see my heart beating, and then I would see it stopped beating. It would skip a beat, it would, you know, my heart skipped a beat. It would literally skip a beat, and I would see that on the science thing. And I was like, that can't be good. I've had heart palpitations, or I've heard of heart palpitations, but this is my heart stopping. Is that gonna keep going? Is it gonna stop more? Is it gonna stop completely? This is very bad. And so I was like, I don't know what's causing this. And then I was looking up my medicine and they both cause heart palpitations. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Uh, come Tuesday morning, I'm like, okay, I figured it out. It's gotta be one of these drugs. I don't know which drug, but I need the heart medication just because that's more essential to life function than I need the ADD medication. I gotta stop taking the ADD medication, see if it helps. Took it or didn't take the, the ADD meds, didn't help. I went to the ER, um, just, just so you know, I know if on paper, if you have heart palpitations and chest pain, you go to the ER. I know that. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, but I went to the e. I went to the the doctor the day before. They did an EKG, and the EKG came up totally normal. So my thought was, 
I'm gonna go to the ER, they're gonna charge me $1,000, they're gonna give me an EKG, it's gonna say I'm normal, and they're gonna send me home, and I'll just have paid $1,000 for nothing and still feel like I'm about to die. You know, um, but it got to the point where I was like, and also I have heartburn, and so it can be hard to, to differentiate heartburn symptoms with uh, heart symptoms, and so, um, uh, Kevin, can you bring back the, the timer? Um, but so, so, so it was, I was, it was easy to convince myself that maybe I wasn't dying and I go to the ER, I'm waiting, you know, they take blood, they take a chest x-ray, they do an EKG and you know, they, they, the thing is I told the guy I have heart palpitations, but they're inconsistent and an EKG is pretty short, but I had him stay on the thing monitoring it until I had a heart palpitation so it could pick it up because the EKG I had the normal doctor didn't pick it up. And so he saw it and they, they charted it and, um, and so then the doctor, you know, comes and sees me and explains that this is a good heart palpitation. This is a benign heart palpitation, that feeling that your heart is stopping. Don't worry about that at all. That's completely normal. I don't know. But so they kind of did what I expected, which was you're completely fine. Go home. But they did test my blood pressure and my blood pressure was really high, which it shouldn't be given that I'm on blood pressure medication. So, um, but they didn't find that for cause for alarm. So I was basically right, but it did make me feel better because they didn't only give me an EKG. They did do the other tests and they did actually see the heart palpitation. So I felt, I felt better. Um, you know, from that. And uh, so then, yeah, so I scheduled, the thing is I already made a cardiologist appointment, but I couldn't wait that long because I just, I knew that the ER would be able to tell me if I was dying, but they wouldn't really know what was going on until I saw a cardiologist. So I was hoping to hold out till then, but I was like, I can't wait. I just got to go to the ER. And so, so yeah, they, they let me out um, and they gave me a, uh, they said, you know, you should monitor your blood pressure. And so I bought a blood pressure cuff and, um, and I've been taking my blood pressure and well, uh, well let's, let's, let's take my blood pressure. <laughs> is this interesting? No, this isn't interesting. Um, Oh yeah, that's what I was reading. Yeah, so we're gonna put this here. Um, but while we take my blood pressure, let's, um, Kevin, do you remember we talked about a segment, it was your idea, I believe, where it was like, when I when I, when I wrote it down, it was like Kevin Splaining was the title of it, where it was like, you talk about something, like you bring up a topic that you know more of than me, and then I try to, do you remember this? Yes. Okay, so um, so then do you so so do you remember? Can you explain it to the audience better than me? Wait, so we had a couple ideas along these lines, but the idea was supposed to be that I was going to bring up a topic that I knew uh, that I I believed I knew more about than you, and then you were going to try to explain it back to me. Is that is that how we ended on it? It was something like that. I think it was just like I talk about like some some aspect of it that I think you maybe not get, and I understand because I'm superior. You know, it's like mansplaining. You know, um, so I think it was like that. But yeah, do you want to? And then we we chose game design, and I had some brilliant insights on game design that uh, I'm not supposed to be yes, talking. Yes. Yeah much um <laughs> you you and simon talk but you 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 do the to, to come up with a so topic. What's the topic yeah no i mean i i like the, the game design idea um so yeah like i worked as a game designer for quite a few years at midway games um i did not have very many successful games while i worked there but i worked on a lot of projects uh, I feel like I knew what I was doing. I just didn't get put in the right position for it. But I, I would love to hear Spencer's uh, theories and suggestions and like what games do wrong in terms of game design, storytelling, that kind of thing. Like, do you have feelings on this, Simon? I have feelings on what I Oof, like and what I don't bad. like about games. 
I think I'm hyped up. Uh, I have 171 over 112, but I think it's not a very active reason because I'm all worked up and shit. So I'm going to note this. Continue, Simon. Sorry, 171 yeah. over 12, 112. 171 over 112. Yeah, continue. Sorry. Um, I mean, I, I've i always been more fascinated in game stories than gameplay. Um, and, like, to me, my my uh, ride-or-die game for life is Maniac Mansion. Uh, that, to me, is the pinnacle of games. Anything... Maniac Mansion was was very groundbreaking in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, it's phenomenal. And it, there's so many different ways to beat that game and so many different things you can do that I still don't even know how to use all the things that I found. Um, it's, yeah. It's what I compare every game to. Isn't that such a... I feel like that's a lost part of video games because they want you to use every part of the beast. But, like, being able to find something and go, like, is this, like, a one-off thing? Is this a bigger system that I don't understand? And then they just throw it at you and they're just like, yeah, go fuck yourself, yeah. you know? There's, there's like, a moment where you can steal one of the, like... I don't know if you're familiar, either of you, with Maniac Mansion, but... A little bit. You know, there's, there's like, four... There's a couple of characters in the house that you kind of want to steer clear of. There's, like, Dead Cousin Ted, and there's, like, the scientist and the tentacle. Um, but uh, Ed, or Ted, Ed, I think his name is, Ed, Dead Cousin Ed, or, um, has a room that you sneak into when he's out of his room, and there's a hamster. He's got a pet hamster, and you can take that pet hamster. And you can put that pet hamster in the microwave and turn on the microwave and it explodes. And then now in your inventory is exploded hamster, which I don't think does anything other than if you give that hamster back to Ed, he will get mad and kill you. And then a little gravestone with your name appears outside the house, which I think is a very lovely thing mm -hmm. that, they, that this family did is that they went through the trouble of learning That's your name. And uh, and then you're a ghost. Then you're just like an invisible version of yourself that can walk through the house. You don't even see your avatar, but you can just move around. And all your inventory is lost forever because you've been buried with it. And that's it. It's like, but they've coded that into the game where even as a dead person, you can walk around. But you're not allowed to touch or interact with anything because you're dead. I love that. Yeah, I love that so much. It was also like an interesting, like, because it's not a for it's not a multiplayer format, but it was it was a multiplayer game, right? You can yeah. play it multiplayer. That's really interesting. There's like five or six different characters, and you have to pick one. You have to pick uh, your team of three. Yeah, and your team of, and everybody's got a different skill. So if you pick the one who's good at like building engines, they can rebuild the engine, or they can fix things. There's another one who's a singer. There's like everyone has different skills that allow you to collect different items and beat the game in a different way. Mm -hmm. Like, damn, it's such a good game. Yeah. Oh man, never, a bag like, of Mexican Doritos and some Maniac Mansion. God damn it. So Spencer, how do you think that and all other games are designed? Well, the thing is, we talked about game design last time. Like that was the last Kevin Splaining section. Like it was, it was, it was about game design. So you know, we're almost out of time. Uh, it looks like Jeff is trying to get into the Zoom call right now, but we don't, we don't have time to talk to Jeff, unfortunately. Maybe, maybe he'll call back next week. Who knows? But uh, yeah. So, uh, so, so buy Simon's book. Do you have anything else to plug? Is, uh, Twitter account anything? Uh, Bob Baker Marionette. Theater? Oh yeah, Bob Baker Marionette and. Cine, uh, you can follow us at Somos El Cine, which is a nonprofit that I work with that does uh, all sorts of weird screenings. I don't know when this is going to be airing, but uh, probably in a week or less. Uh, but yeah, check us out the first Saturday of every month at the Bob Baker Marionette Theater. We do Saturday morning cartoons, 
and uh, and help them pr- put on the rest of their programming, which is amazing. So you should yeah. you should go see it. Yeah, and we're all out of time, baby. Uh, that happened. Go with Satan or whatever. Go with God. <laughs>